Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. Last night, we learned the results of the first in the nation primary in this 2020 nomination season. Bernie Sanders, the senator from Vermont, leaves New Hampshire victorious. But former Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Senator Amy Klobuchar also posted strong showings in the Granite State. As we shift our attention to Nevada and South Carolina, there is plenty to discuss, and I'm joined by two great guests. In a few minutes, I'll be speaking with Julie Pace, who is a CNN political analyst and the Washington bureau chief of the Associated Press. But first, I've got my colleague MJ Lee on the phone. She's a CNN political correspondent based in New York and is covering Elizabeth Warren and has been doing so for the last year on the campaign trail. MJ, I'm so happy to connect with you. Hey there. So, um... You have been on the trail with Elizabeth Warren, an expert in all things Elizabeth Warren. You have seen uh, the rise and the fall. Just take us inside the campaign's uh, mentality after uh, Iowa and New Hampshire have now the results are in and settled in on them. Where where do they see her in this race now? Well, look, I think there's no sugarcoating what a bad night she had last night. Uh, Let's talk about New Hampshire for a second before we get to Iowa. I mean, the fact that this is a state that she is very familiar with, uh, this is a state that she has a lot of affection for and has spent a lot of time in just because of its proximity to Massachusetts, the state where she is the senator. Uh, You know, when you go out on the trail with her and spend time with her in New Hampshire, she will often say to voters, you know, whenever I campaign here, I feel like I'm just visiting my neighbors, right? So the fact that this candidate who not that many months ago was leading nationally, uh, leading uh, in early state polls, including in New Hampshire, came in at fourth place and a distant fourth place finish at that, uh, it is a very, very tough and disappointing moment in this race for her. Uh, And of course, this New Hampshire Uh, disappointment coming after a disappointing finish in Iowa as well. And look, when you talk to her campaign, and I think they were even signaling this before uh, people were voting in New Hampshire uh, with that memo that we saw from her campaign manager, Roger Lau, clearly they are trying to stress that they are staying in this for the long haul. They see this as a marathon. But I think the political reality is that there's there's not a good way to spin a bad finish in Iowa and a bad finish in New Hampshire. Uh, the window for her getting the nomination has drastically narrowed. I wouldn't say it's closed, but it has narrowed. Yes. Um, and uh, she has shown some abilities, uh, not a huge amount, obviously, to – be able to woo some voters of color, uh, as we've seen in polling throughout the year. She's had some ability to do that. And obviously, we're getting to more diverse electorates in Nevada and South Carolina. But uh, I couldn't agree more. It obviously has has gotten pretty uh, significantly narrowed her path to nomination, those first two state results, where she was touted as having built a really big organization. So I'm going to get to the what happened question in just a moment. First, I just want to share something that strikes me, and I want you to take us inside their messaging shift uh, recently. Uh, I've heard Elizabeth Warren in the last couple of weeks sort of try to close on this message of being a uniter and being the one that can stitch together all the various uh, pieces and factions of the party. And I find it really curious, and maybe you have some reporting to suggest what they're doing here. 
as to why she has shifted to that message for two reasons. One, it's it's not the most important quality to the New Hampshire voters in the exit poll last night. That was somebody who can bring about needed change. Uh, That was 38 percent of the electorate, 32 percent of the electorate looking for a candidate who can unite the country. But Elizabeth Warren is only winning three percent of those voters. Klobuchar and Buttigieg are splitting those voters at 31 percent apiece. So I'm so intrigued that she has no traction with voters looking for a uniter and she shifted her message there. And maybe the reason she shifted her message is because the other quality that you're looking for a fighter, only 6% of the electorate in the New Hampshire Democratic primary said they were looking for a fighter. And when I think of Elizabeth Warren, I think of her saying, you know, I'm in this fight. I'm going to, you know, the Kate McKinnon impersonation of her on SNL, fight, 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 fight. And and that's not, it seems, what the electorate's actually looking for. So explain the message shift here for me and why she thinks there's market share for her in the uniter category. Right. I think I think you're dead on that. That F word fight has really defined Elizabeth Warren's campaign over the last year. Uh, The number of times that she would use that word, even in the span of a minute. Right. It has it had become such a defining aspect of her message. And I think towards the end, you know, you go to a Warren rally and you speak to whether it's a supporter or somebody who was undecided, you know, what is, what is something that you know about her or her message or where she is coming from? I think you had a good chance of sort of getting that from people who had gotten to know her, that she is somebody who was presenting herself as a fighter. I agree with you that uh, sort of the 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 attempt to shift that message at the very end was curious. And I think it actually very much is telling of how much her campaign and I think the candidate herself was aware that she was in trouble, that this message that she had been uh, using all throughout her campaign and really throughout her political career uh, wasn't working or wasn't working well enough and was also sort of turning off uh, a segment of the electorate that didn't want that kind of a sort of harsh sounding let's fight. Um, I think there are plenty of people in the room at her events who were actually wary of that kind of uh, message from her because you know what um, sort of let's fight uh, doesn't sit well with the kinds of people that that doesn't sit well with are the people who are so focused on uh, the Democratic Party's ability to beat Donald Trump that anything that sort of suggests that a Democrat wants a fight, they worry that that actually translates to infighting within the Democratic Party. So I think clearly we saw the shift from Elizabeth Warren. I think the shift was too late. I think the shift didn't clearly didn't end up uh, sort of boosting her uh, candidacy in the end. Uh, I'm not sure that she found uh, the ability to appeal to enough people. I mean, clearly she didn't uh, based on the results. People who wanted a uniter and then the people who wanted somebody that would fight. So in the end, I just think that it was a miscalculation at best. I would also just add, I also think it was off brand. It was just, 
It was off-brand of where she had been. And by the way, this is the what happened, and we'll get into this in another podcast conversation because we're running out of time and I want to get you out of here. But I, but MJ, it seems to me it's sort of the same thing as what happened when she was, I'm with Bernie, all in on Medicare for All, and then in the fall shifted that. She went from looking like a change agent to looking like a regular politician trying to find a politically palatable solution to the health care conundrum. Just as now she went from this fighter image that she was presenting and realizing maybe the electorate wasn't quite there or wasn't quite being interpreted the same way. And then she shifts to this uniter thing, which immediately is off brand again. I just think she had a surprising amount of trouble for somebody who's been so consistent in her whole career to stick to sort of one brand throughout the entirety of the campaign. But absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And and just on that note, uh, another area where I think her messaging was curious and off-brand was how she decided to deal with her rivals, right? I mean, the entire year. And I think consistency is absolutely right. I think she very much prided herself in being a candidate uh, with consistent messaging. I think her campaign and her advisors felt the same way. She so many times when confronted with questions about her competitors in the race would say the words, I am not here to criticize other Democrats. But what does she do literally the day of the New Hampshire primary? Her campaign manager uh put out a memo that literally laid out and went uh, one by one through the other top tier candidates and said, here's here are the weaknesses that we see in these other candidates. He did that, but that wasn't reflected in what the senator herself was willing to say out on the campaign trail. So clearly there was this disconnect between what this campaign at the very last minute wanted to put out there, but the candidate herself uh, wasn't going there out on the trail, right? So either, you know, you you As have you to... noted, MJ, that's a classic telltale sign that you know things are not yeah. uh, going your way, right? Exactly. <laughs> I want to get you back to the campaign trail. MJ Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. As MJ heads back to the trail, I turn to Julie Pace. Julie is a CNN political analyst and the Washington bureau chief for the Associated Press. And she, too, is in this podcast game. She has a podcast for the AP. Julie, how can people find that? You can find us on Apple and all the other ways you can get your podcasts. We are called Ground Game. Hope you download it and like it. Awesome. Thank you for being here. So uh, you just heard my conversation with MJ about the Warren campaign. I want to go back to 30,000 feet now in this campaign and and look at the results last night. Um, You know, Bernie Sanders uh, in the driver's seat at the moment in this campaign after the victory in New Hampshire, after doing well in Iowa. But really because he's consolidated the left, right? So it's a, it's sort of like in the driver's seat, but there's still work to do, no? Absolutely. I mean, a win is a win, and we should give that to Bernie Sanders. He is the winner of the New Hampshire primary. But he did it in this way that I don't think creates a lot of confidence about his candidacy going forward. He was significantly below the level of support he had in New Hampshire in 2016 when he was in a head-to-head face-off with Hillary Clinton. And what we saw was several more moderate candidates who were dividing up the votes. You had Pete Buttigieg right behind him, followed by Amy Klobuchar. Uh, Warren, as you mentioned, is an interesting candidate progressive. 
progressive ideo- ideologically, but also seem to be splitting off a little bit of the vote with with Klobuchar based with women who are looking for a, a female candidate. And then, of course, Joe Biden, a dismal fifth, but still pulling from that moderate lane. So if you're Bernie Sanders, you're hoping that those moderates all stay in because they keep divvying up that share of the electorate. And for moderates, I think they have to come to grips with the reality that if they don't, Uh, start to consolidate that part of the field, Bernie Sanders could continue to win with 25 to 30 percent of the vote in states that come next. I mean, that was sort of like the Trump path, right? Uh, With all of his competitors, no consolidation around sort of the anti-Trump. And and of course, uh, Trump got more help by the rules of the RNC that you can have winner take all states. So not only could he get 30 percent somewhere in a plurality, he then won all of those delegates. Sanders may have a tougher time building up the same kind of delegate lead. But as you know, once you get a pledge delegate lead, it's very hard to lose it in this nomination race. It is really hard for candidates to catch up. Once we get past Super Tuesday, which is this big, delegate-rich day of voting, California, the biggest state with the most delegates on the table, votes on March 3rd. If someone, Sanders or another candidate, breaks out a big lead on Super Tuesday, it's just hard to catch up. And we have seen this happen so many times. You know, in 2008, you had this long Democratic primary between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, but the reality was was Clinton actually couldn't catch up to Obama. In 2016, we saw Sanders and Clinton in this long fight, but the reality was that he was going to be unable to catch up. So when you do dig into the delegate math, which I love doing, it's very nerdy, but I I I recommend it. It's fun. (laughs) Uh, When you do dig into that, you realize how hard it is to catch up, uh, even though the calendar looks like there are many contests to come. So you uh, noted that'll become really important come Super Tuesday. I know Iowa and New Hampshire are not about delegate totals, but the current delegate total actually has Pete Buttigieg with a couple more delegates uh, ahead of Bernie Sanders. Uh, Does that put him in your mind, um, the one with the biggest challenge to consolidate that moderate uh, uh, wing of the party? And I guess I want, if you can, preview for me what you think in the next 10 days to two weeks that Klobuchar-Buttigieg battle is for the consolidation. What does that look like? I think we're going to be seeing Buttigieg and Klobuchar and Biden to some degree trying to convince the rest of the party that they are the best moderate to not take on Trump necessarily, to take on Sanders. That's the first fight that they really have to contend with here. Buttigieg is going to have to do one really important thing, though. He has to prove that he can take this support from Iowa and New Hampshire to overwhelmingly white states and carry that into more diverse states. Klobuchar, I would argue, has a similar issue. She has to she has to prove Agreed. that she, she hasn't can, had a lot of traction with communities. She really of color. hasn't. I think she has a, an additional challenge, which is she just doesn't have much of an operation in these other states. But Buttigieg does. He has money, he has staffers, he has offices, he has all of the infrastructure there. The big question is whether he can get minority voters to back this candidacy. And now flip the equation for me. What is Sanders' challenge to how how do you foresee him? Now that he has largely consolidated the left, um, how does he move forward to try to expand that coalition to a broader coalition? I think this is actually going to be fascinating because we've never seen Bernie Sanders have to do this. When In 2016, you know, this was a surprise candidacy and he really energized the left. He also benefited from the fact that there were other Democrats who simply didn't like Hillary Clinton. So he comes into 2020 with a very loyal and pretty sizable group of the Democratic electorate that's ready to back him again. And they have stuck with him. They have continued to be extremely loyal. But we 
we've never really seen him have to grow that coalition of his own volition. We've never had to see him proactively make a case for why you should be a Bernie Sanders voter versus a Pete Buttigieg voter or even an Elizabeth Warren voter, though they are linked ideologically. They are very different candidates right now. So you know, Sanders is it has been kind of a one note politician for 40 years. And I'm fascinated to see whether he does have another gear that he can kick into here. I am, too. And, I, you know, I covered events with him uh, right before the caucuses in Iowa. And then again, uh, up at the uh, New Hampshire Institute of Politics, he did a politics and eggs breakfast last Friday. Um, he makes an electability pitch. And I think that's sort of I think that's his entryway to trying to broaden the coalition for him. Uh, It's not that he's going to be like, oh, I'm going to soften on Medicare for all. Right. It's on trying to prove to voters outside his uh, ideological pairing, but inside the Democratic tent, that he is best equipped to defeat Donald Trump. And we know that that's what voters want. And he says he does that by being a triple threat. He says he can uh, win back Trump voters who used to be with Obama and went to Trump and some of these uh, white non-college educated men, uh, which is a Trump staple. And we see inside the Democratic Party, it's a Sanders staple. And then he says he can expand the electorate with new people. And he thinks he has the ability to energize the existing base. That that triple threat, you know, voters are not buying it according to these exit polls. They don't think he's the candidate winning the electability argument just yet. They don't. And I think that he has to back up some of that strategy with some action. As you say, he is not a candidate. He's an ideological purist. So he's not going to be that candidate who, as we get deeper into the process, tweaks the, the tweaks the policies. He's not going to suddenly become a Medicare for all who want it type of candidate. He is where he is on those issues. And there just is a reality that there is a segment of the Democratic Party Party, that's not where he is on those on those matters. And he has to convince them why they should vote for him. Why should I stand with a candidate, even if you argue you can beat Trump, who I don't agree with on major fundamental issues like health care? I also think one of the things that Sanders is going to have to have to grapple with that he hasn't had to in a real way is this question of feasibility, not just financially, but also whether he could actually get anything passed in Washington. The thing I hear from voters a lot, Democrats so want to beat Trump, but they also do want to start to get things done. And the idea of tying Washington back up in four more years of gridlock I just don't think it's very appealing to many people. I spoke to a a voter at a Klobuchar event on Monday in Exeter. She had just decided on Sunday to be for Klobuchar. And one of her reasons, Julie, was she said, I don't think we, the Democrats, are going to win back the Senate. And I want somebody who can actually work with Mitch McConnell to actually get something done. Like exactly your point. And that is such the reality. I mean, we don't talk about that a lot on the campaign trail, but that is a a Democratic president would face some pretty tough obstacles in Washington, even if they had a Democratic Senate. There are a lot of members of that Democratic Senate who are more conservative than certainly Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I mean, Barack Obama had a Democratic Senate at one point and it didn't all get done (laughs) the way he envisioned it. Uh, Very quickly before you go, is it too early to write the Joe Biden political obit? So Joe Biden has a path. It is an extremely, extremely narrow path. It is basically victory in South Carolina. And I would argue it has to be a pretty convincing victory in South Carolina. He's got two weeks to keep his donors on board, to keep his voters from flocking to other candidates. I expect he will remain in the race to test the proposition in in South Carolina. But again, I think it not only has to be a win, it has to be a decisive win. Julie Pace, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. 
A friendly reminder to our listeners, we've got a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.